This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. from Studio 6B on a Thursday. Geo's down for the count. Uh-oh. Oh. And um, so Fran's pulling major double duty. Me and Paul got the, uh, yes, <laughs> me and Paul got the message on the olive green. Obviously, you two didn't, um, didn't get the email. So what? Well, when his Who his oil translator says purple when you put olive green in. <laughs> exactly right. So G, uh, uh, so update for those of you who are interested in, and I know a lot of the live from Studio Six B community is. We just found out not too long ago. So Geo is negative for COVID, but feeling worse today than he was yesterday. So still really knocked out. So no G money tonight. Uh, Fran's pulling double duty, and we appreciate it. And um, you won't even notice the difference in the show. So uh, live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night, Paul Nolan is here with the news. Mr. Nolan, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad I'm here to defend Geo <laughs> because that was some kind of shot at the lovely little lad. No, it wasn't a shot. It was. It was. You a, won't was even a, notice him gone. It was yeah. appreciation of a friend doing double duty, and you still won't even notice any difference in the show because Frank can do it. Um, Rick Delgado's <laughs> here. How are you? I'm feeling better than Geo. I'll tell you that much. Yes. Well, I think everyone's fe- feeling better than Geo right now. Rick Emirati's going to have sports, and he's here. How are you? Hey, Big D, how are you? Good. What's coming up in sports tonight? Anything uh, going on? Well, your favorite golfer, Rory, he's in action at the Wells Fargo <laughs> Championship, so I'll Is give you an update on how well he's not doing. <laughs> and uh, we got a little rodeo action tonight. And, uh, hey, the New York Rangers got a big fine today for, uh, you know, opening their mouth a little bit about that controversial uh, brawl the other Who night. Who is uh, Rory caddying for? Oh, he's playing. Yeah. Oh, he's playing. Okay, oh, I thought yeah. he was. I thought he was going to be driving the ball collecting thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was trying to drill him. That's he's where he's. In, that's where he's going to be if he keeps playing like he is. He's in trouble. <laughs> Damon would be running to that golf course and be like, "He's driving it." Oh yeah. <laughs> Give me my driver and some uh, and yeah. stand and a bucket and of balls, balls. and a hundred and forty mile an hour swing through the ball. Yeah. Uh, club head speed. So um, okay. So let's start with some just headlines here. Because there's a couple that just, I, I, I mean, the headline on Fox News is don't take questions. White House makes stunning, this is how they frame it. White House makes stunning admission on Biden impromptu Q&A. So the so backstory here is uh, Jen 
uh, Pisaki goes on David Axelrod's podcast. Axelrod, of course, is a big Dem operative, big, uh, you know, with President Obama, part of the um, Obama administration, and a big Democratic operative. He's got this huge podcast, and Saki goes on, and she admits that um, they encourage Biden not to take questions, and everybody's stunned by this, this stunning admission, <laughs> as they call it. And I'm reading this thinking... Well, of course you do. I mean, who would tell him to take questions? I mean, this is, is this a surprise to anybody? No, definitely not. Especially- who is this a surprise to that it's stunning that they tell him, hey, try not to take the uh, Q&A that you're not, you know, scripted and teleprompted for because we don't want you to sound like the bumbling fool that we all know you are. Who's surprised by this? <laughs> yeah, especially when he's leaving a podium and uh, he does decide to answer a question. He goes, well, I, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say too much, or I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> From who? You're the president, you dope. Well, yeah. this is probably who he's talking about. Probably Saki and probably... Um, um, Rock in the basement. His chief, and- sta- his chief of staff, Ron Klain, who I, who I hear is running the country. At least that's what some people say. But so this here's this article. They say Saki admits in the CNN podcast with Axelrod that... Uh, President Joe Biden taking impromptu questions from reporters is, quote, not something we recommend. Wow. Saki made this stunning admission, they say, while being interviewed by Axelrod on his podcast, The Axe Files, and claimed that she at times even tells Biden not to take questions from reporters. So I don't know. Uh, maybe people are stunned because they're now realizing that he's not all there and this is what happens when you're not all there. But why are people surprised that this is going on? I think they're more stunned that they, they said the quiet part out loud. Right? This is not something you're supposed to talk about. And for this dope to actually admit it, it kind of lends, lends credence to, well, maybe the, the whole administration shouldn't be talking. Because they don't, they really don't know what the heck they're doing. I mean, I don't know. I saw it. I wasn't. I mean, are you, Paul, are you surprised that they don't let Biden take impromptu <laughs> questions? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Howdy Doody has got a little wooden butt. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> that's my point. Yeah, so you no, want to elaborate on that part? <laughs> just not, not surprised. No one's, you shouldn't be surprised. So I, I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, how could anybody be remotely stunned by this? I mean, of course not. He's a little tiny, delicate, fragile little puppet marionette banging around trying to, like, every time that he's on the podium, the entire, like, staff who make the decisions for him are all just like, oh no, oh God, what is he going to say next? Yeah, they know they can't trust him. They this that's it. I mean, yeah, it's a constant hold your breath moment when he's in front of a microphone, even if he's scripted. <laughs> as our crazy town the other day proved, as he went off and yeah, and did, and did you hear about that that train story? I guess I forget where I saw the story. I wish I had pulled up. I didn't know we'd be going down this road. Um, but I guess that train story is fake. He made it up. And one of the people he's talking about, I guess, retired like like years and years ago. Like it, it made no sense what he was saying when it comes to that particular story. Which part so of he the story? lied again? Which part of the story that he slept through his stop four times or whatever he said? Um, I, uh, let's see. It's it's the 
It's about the uh, conductor, Angelo. Here, I found it. Retired. Oh, he used to come up to his face and go, Joey. <laughs> right. Is that part? Yeah. Uh, when, when Biden hit one million miles, is that the conductor actually required, uh, retired in 1993, 22 years before Biden hit one million miles on his Amtrak thing. Yeah. Just imagine how much that would be reported if it was Trump. If the orange man made up a full-blown like tall tale fabricated story to try to look endearing and what would happen? But again, it's like, um, is anyone surprised that you, so you hear that, you know, that he made it up and he got caught or whatever. And I just go, yeah. I mean, is anybody surprised by the fact that he, you can tell when he's lying, number one, because his mouth's moving. But (laughs) besides that, the other thing is the blinking. Yeah, you can just tell when if he makes things up. If you were at a card up. table with him, and every time I keep <laughs> yeah. he, he this, it'd be like uh, Teddy KGB with the Oreo cookie all in. <laughs> check, check, check. Yeah, it, it's like it's like that card game. Right? You got any twos? Uh, go fish. And he's blinking away like crazy. He's like, he's got twos. He's lying. I mean, <laughs> when he says things like, um, well, I don't know. You could just tell when he says things because you go, huh? Like, where'd that come from? Basically, any time he tries to tell a story that he's going back in time, that's made up. So you think Corn Pop didn't exist? I think Corn Pop existed. Yeah. I don't think he ever confronted Corn Pop. I like that. Yeah. I think I think in his head he's like, man, one day I'm going to go up to that corn pop character and I'm going to I'm so, going to ruffle his feathers and see how he likes it. But he never really did. So it. in his mind, he had like this fantasy, this th- yes. thing that happened, and he felt so proud of himself. He f- turned it into like a real memory, right? And who can check it? Corn pop's probably not around. He doesn't sound like the type of fella who takes good care of himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a thing about a lot of what he lies about, right? When you say who can check it, there's right. a lot of that. It's there's like, a oh, lot of that in the things he says. Yeah, my grandfather once told me. That it's, a, it's like, how can, you, how can you check that? How can you verify that story? Grandfa- he, he is a grandfather. He's a great grandfather. He's, he's lied his whole c- career. He's been an evil, uh, angry it's like the other thing I see. People say, see these reports, and they say, oh, he was yelling, and then he was whispering. He was angry. He's always been angry. Yeah. He, Did he, you see him when he was going around on the campaign? He said to the guy, hey, Fats, do you want to do some push-ups? The way he's yelled at, he yelled, he's always been angry. Yeah, he doesn't like to be confronted. Because, because right there, when you confront somebody who's a liar, and they know they can't get out of it, they'll just turn to anger. Or not, if you could confront the coward, they're going to turn to anger. Right. Because could, could you imagine him doing push-ups? Wouldn't you imagine his little spindly arms would just powder up into dust and crumble straight down to the ground? <laughs> just looking, I mean, he just looks so frail. And yet he told us he's going to take um, the former president out behind the, you know, Mr. Tough Guy. He's going to take him behind the woodshed and, and yeah. give, yeah. hand him a bunt cake. What's he going to do? Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, I was I was just yeah, shocked to see this, yeah this, to see the story that the, the way they they frame it as they're stunned that they don't want this guy to take um, to take impromptu Q and A. And I'm thinking to myself, of course, they, right? Yes, of course they don't want to want him to. And, and that should be the cue for every reporter who is not a sellout to say, you know what? I got to get a question in. I got to, they got to start yelling questions because you watch when he tries to walk away. There's always something that gets his attention. 
So did you see the Facebook decision to keep President Trump off of Facebook? Uh, yeah. Keep okay, us- is, there, is there anybody who can explain <laughs> it to me on exactly what this board... Isn't this just Zuckerberg's friends acting like there's some Tech independent um, committee when they're just part of... Face- I mean, what's, what is this? Actually, I think they're, they're more uh, George Soros friends. That's, I've been listening to uh, Bongino the last couple of days because he's been doing this whole connect the dots with Soros and the Rudy Giuliani thing. And the Kim Gardner thing. And the Kim Gardner. And it turns out he, he actually made the point today, which I thought was interesting, that it could, be, it could be our buddy John Solomon who's the real target of this thing. Because of stories he's done in the past that goes back to prior to 2016 and 2015. In putting all these dots together, connecting all these dots between the prosecutors in the UK, Paul Manafort, payments, the fake Black Ledger, all this stuff. I mean, he's, he's done a great breakdown the last couple of days on his podcast. Uh, Bongino has. Yeah. Well, I saw Mr. Solomon when this all broke on, I believe, with Dr. Gina and her very fine show before us. And he said, you know... Anybody wants to come talk to me, I'm happy to lay out what we've found. I'm happy to lay out the case, you know, um, of what, of the Biden family and, and Hunter Biden and Ukraine and everything that was going on. Does John have security around them at all times? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I know. I know you're not kidding. That's, the, that's why I'm giggling because it's, it's kind of a nervous giggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, this guy, what do we always say? Once you're over the target, they blacklist you. Well, that's in- I mean, that's interesting. Obviously, we knew he was part of the warrant we said that was served uh, to Rudy. And obviously, Rudy has come out since all of this and talked a little bit about it. So, and, and you notice the media, of course, all they ran with was that, oh, he was briefed. He was briefed. He knew all this. He knew all this. And then, of course, he, Rudy comes out and says, well, no, no, no. I, I was never briefed, ever. And, of course, the media takes that narrative and kind of just slithers it into the closet and you never hear it again. But they don't ever apologize. They don't ever write a retraction. Oh, no, they retracted it like four days later. But by then, it's the wrap-up smear. It's already gone out. They've already marketed it. That's all anybody's heard. And you never hear the retraction. Right, because the original source gets to make this big, bold lie. Then the 91% of the companies that are all owned by the same people spin it to all their outlets. They don't have to retract it. Only the main place does. Now... People don't know. Yeah. All right. We got lots to do here. Uh, Live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Glad you're in. I've got some good stuff to cover. Paul will do some news. Rick will do sports. Friends holding it down on his own tonight. We're back right after this. Live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Glad you're in. Uh, Paul Nolan's here. He's going to do some news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Emirati's going to do sports. Geo down for the count, but Fran's holding it down tonight uh, on his own. Good job, Fran. Uh, so let's talk about Liz Cheney, and let's talk about this Elise Stefanik that I'm hearing her name thrown all around. There's a piece today by Daniel Horowitz in The Blaze. And, um, I mean, I don't know Elise Stefanik that well. I know she's from New York, and I know she's been very solid on a lot of things. But I don't know what her voting record is and how much it was with President Trump and how much 
Uh, it wasn't. I'm not exactly sure. But Horowitz says replacing Liz Cheney with Elise Stefanik is the whole problem with the GOP. He says Liz Cheney is not a bug, but a feature of the GOP. She's not an exception, but the rule. The exceptions are those few members who actually fight for the major tenets of the party's platform in a meaningful way. And what have we talked about on this show moving forward for the next two years and four years? This is of the ultimate importance to find Republicans who are not just going to talk one way and then as soon as they get to Washington go, oh, well, let me let me go over and have lunch with Nan and, and Chucky Schumer and say, because I'm going to play nice and get along and it's going to be different this time and I'm going to get and we're going to we're going to work together and all, all this nonsense. And then they get run over, run over. Uh, unfortunately, Cheney is well within the mainstream of the party on so many issues, except for her open defiance of former President Trump. As such, when left to their own devices, the GOP will replace her with someone like Elise Stefanik, who is even more liberal than Cheney. He says, the beauty of the Democratic Party is that the Democrats appoint leaders and committee chairs and nominate people to high offices who not only believe in their party's Marxist agenda to the core, but are the most ferocious, ferocious fighters republicans on the other hand have their most liberal members in leadership and as committee chairs at the federal and state levels their health care chair will be someone who champions government-run health care their judiciary chair is a given state legislature will often be someone who supports open borders and is pro-criminal thus the problem with liz cheney as house conference chair is not an aberration but it is the general rule when it comes to Republicans. The good news is that conservatives are hopefully finally willing to eject Republicans from leadership positions who are out of step with our values. Certainly for Cheney to support impeaching Trump under the notion that he is criminally responsible for what happened on January 6th should make her unfit to lead the conference. But what about a Republican who believes we need to be in Afghanistan forever what about a republican who's supporting covid fascism who supports open borders and the transgender agenda or in the case of cheney let's not forget that she supported candidates against conservative members like thomas massey in fact cheney's tweet praising fauci at a time when he destroyed our civilization is more offensive to me than even her vote for trump's impeachment and if you remember, she tweeted on May 12th of 2020, Dr. Fauci is one of the finest public servants we have ever had. He is not a partisan. His only interest is saving lives. We need his experience, his expertise, and his judgment to defeat this virus. All Americans should be thanking him every day. In other words, we should not only focus on who kisses up to Trump as a person uh, but who reflects the agenda for which the Republican voters send Trump himself to the presidency. If we internalize that message, we'd understand that Elise Stefanik is not who we want to replace Liz Cheney. Why should we have to settle on one of two bad choices? 
Elise Stefanik, who has now has the backing of Trump to replace Cheney as conference chair, is so liberal she even voted against the Trump tax cuts that were supported by even the typical liberal Republicans. Unlike Cheney, she's cozied up to Trump as a person, but that should not be our priority heading forward. She she co-sponsored the Dream Amnesty and voted for Big Agricultural Amnesty. She was even one of 14 Republicans who voted to terminate Trump's emergency declaration at the border and was one of only 11 Republicans who voted to override his funding of the border wall. Stefanik is terrible on social issues. She was one of just eight Republicans who voted for the original Equality Act, codifying transgenderism into civil rights now promoted by Biden and Pelosi. Stefanik has been a consistent supporter of the transgender agenda. She also supported a local D.C. bill that would have forced pro-life groups to pay for abortions. In 2015, Congress had an opportunity to nullify the D.C. municipal law when Republicans were in the majority. Stefanik voted against it. Even on some of the energy issues that tend to unite both wings of the party, Stefanik joined with the Democrats. She joined just two other Republicans in voting for the Climate Action Now Act, which would have forced Trump to stay in the Paris Climate Accord. She voted to block Trump's plan to drill for oil in the eastern Gulf of Mexico. Indeed, the Liz Cheney problem extends to many Republicans, but even more so to Elise Stefanik. Why is it that you can be liberal on immigration, social issues, taxes, and energy, yet as long as you praise Trump, you are fit to lead the party that is supposed to fight against those very ideals? This is the problem with the Republican Party. Republicans control 31 state legislatures, 19 of them with supermajorities, yet it's so hard to pass conservative legislation because almost all the leaders in committee chairs are liberals on the issues that matter. Ditto for most Republican governors. The dirty little secret here is that there are Liz Cheney's in the majority of leadership positions in the GOP all across the country. The only difference is that in some way Cheney is at least principled enough to stand by her views publicly, whereas the others remain undocumented Democrats and escape the ire of the base of their voters. In reality, the fight over Liz Cheney should be a wake-up call to conservatives to make the upcoming primaries truly the most important election of our lifetime, especially at the state level where these issues matter most. Our republic will not rise or fall based on who is the third-ranking member of the GOP conference in an irredeemably broken Congress. However, our future will depend on creating constitutional sanctuaries in red states with leaders who actually represent conservative values. That begins with understanding where we went wrong. We didn't just appoint GOP leaders who oppose us on style and personality, but on the very core values that matter at any given time. In other words, many more Republicans in every red state need to be given the Liz Cheney treatment. And I mean, that is so right on the money, and it's just another step forward in the argument that we continue to make 
about where this has to start to happen in the next two years at the local level, and you have to start electing people that represent their constituents <clears throat> and the values and the, and the ideals and what they, what they want in their leaders. Going back to what we said the other night on DeSantis, if your leaders are not talking like him, governing like him, thinking like him, creating legislation like him and what he's doing in Florida— is that really who you want to vote for? And then be surprised when they're not who you think they are. I mean, we have enough Republicans who tell us one thing, and once they get to Washington, do something else. So we'll, we'll continue this conversation when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Glad you're in. We'll do some more news and we'll continue to talk about this when we get back. Live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour on a Thursday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. So I just went over Horowitz's, Daniel Horowitz's very fine article in The Blaze today about uh, Liz Cheney, and everybody's screaming about Lee Stefanik should be the replacement. And, of course, he points out, well, no, no, no. If you look at her voting record, how can she be the replacement? This is the problem with the party. So, um... What'd you think of that, uh, Delgado? Hmm. It, I'm trying to look up more about her because I know in the last couple of years she's been a, a, a pretty fierce Trump supporter. She voted. Um, you know, she she she's been kind of le- you know, she's been signing on to the whole you know the uh, the election fraud. Well, well, I just read you. I mean, the election fraud is such a. I mean, that's. In, in in its own bubble, okay, that's fine. It's important. But realistically, the broader point of the article is that if you're not on with the American agenda, uh, I just read you all the things she voted no, against. I, I know. That's why I keep looking up more stuff to see, like, when when did she turn? It, it almost seems like there was a point I think during... the point is she didn't turn. The point is this is this is the problem. Well, no, she has turned. She can't support the president now. She's she's consistently still referring to him as, you know, when she's she's quoted here saying, I'm still working with the president. She's not referring to Biden. She's referring to Trump. And this is like a recent article. So it, it makes me wonder, was there some point between 2016 and 2020 where she said, you know what? He is right. And maybe I've been wrong in the past on my votes, but I'm going in this direction now. So I don't know. I've been trying to. Once you started reading that about her, I'm like, oh wow, she sounds she sounds compromised. Uh, she sounds would, like a typical you know weak need Republican that we don't need. Yeah, certainly um, that would not make me feel any better about her if she's like all of a sudden I'm um, far open borders. Oh, now that I'm not because I want to go work with Trump now that he's not in office. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying at some point it was before he left office. Because I've heard her name mentioned uh, probably since about 2018. So I yeah, think there was heard, some, you, you there was some point. Here's where you heard her name. You heard her name because in these big committees, when we had James Comey, that lion weasel in front of her, she asked very good questions of Comey and got some things out of him that others didn't. She was very good in the committee right. meetings as a freshman uh, congresswoman. 
um, in there asking Comey about certain things. But I'm talking about as far as what I what I went through here step by step and what he when you look at her voting record, I saw another thing here said that they went. (laughs) There's a thing here that says, you know, who voted more with Trump than Elise Stefanik did Liz Cheney. So what I'm saying is when you go down the line of their voting record on the things that matter, that's, that's the point of the article. Um, we don't need any, this is the problem. You, too many of them tell you one thing and then don't do it. Right, and go the other way. I mean, she first won election in 2014. So she's been around for, for a few few cycles here. So that's why I'm saying somewhere in that, who knows, maybe it was the 2018 election where he stepped up and, you know, gave his support. And that's maybe what turned her. And then she, you know, started supporting him. Who knows? But as long as... From 2018 forward, she's, you know, America first. She's, she's pointed in that direction because there's no context as to say, well, when did she vote against this particular thing as to when she started supporting over here? You know what I mean? All right. So she votes against the Trump tax cuts. Right. So that's, that's in what, 2017? Who cares when it is? So what's her position on that now? That would be a good question for her. Okay. She voted... Um... She co-sponsored the Dream Amnesty for uh, Amnesty for 11 or 12 million people who have been here illegally to make to give them a pathway to citizenship. So is that her? Is that where she stands on that issue? When was that? I don't know. Co-sponsored okay. the Dream Amnesty. I'll look co- it up. Within the last four years, voted for big agricultural amnesty. She was one of 14 Republicans who voted to terminate Trump's emergency declaration at the border. So where does she stand on the border? She was one of only 11 Republicans who voted to override his funding of the border wall. So is there some minutia here or is she just, is she not for, this is my point. So who's well, responsible I, for putting her in? Like who's responsible for having her replacing? Cause, well, it'd be Kevin McCarthy, would, I guess it would bring it up and guess it would get voted on. It would but, get voted on by Republicans if she's going to, if, if Cheney's to go, I guess. Here's all you really need to know. Can I read something here from uh, sure. CNN? It's an op-ed from Sheila Jackson Lee, and we know how like how far out there she is. Yeah. This is the headline of her op-ed. I'm a proud progressive who thinks Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, and George W. Bush are true patriots. Yeah. I'm a proud progressive Texas Democrat in the tradition of the late Governor Ann Richards and my predecessors, Barbara Jordan and Mickey Leland. And yet... Representative uh, Liz Cheney of Wyoming, the third-ranking Republican in the set in the House, Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, and the 2012 Republican presidential candidate, and George W. Bush, the last Republican president to amass a popular vote majority, have the and my undying respect sure. for the manner in which they have stood steadfast in defense of get this the U.S. Constitution and their principles, even in the face of brutal, unwarranted attacks. By their own party. All three of them have repeatedly rejected, denounced publicly, unequivocally, and fiercely the Republican-driven big lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from former President Donald Trump. Together, Mm -hmm. Cheney, Romney, and Bush are modern-day profiles in courage, embodying former President John F. Kennedy's uh, dictum that sometimes party loyalty demands too much. Sure. This is the pure insanity that we're, we're talking about from the left. 
that likes these so-called Republicans who are full-blown progressive Democrat socialists. Yeah, what does that tell you? It, it tells you all you need to know that that's, that's the sentiment out there now. The, G, uh, G, a friend, uh, get cut 40 if you can, Reddy, and tell me, you got it? So here's, this is what happens. This is why they love Liz Cheney. The media loves someone like Liz Cheney. This is why they loved Fauci. This is why he does 900 media appearances. When, he, when they started to figure out that they could get him to trash the president when Trump was the president, they love him. Anybody who would go after and trash the president, the media loved and took to and changed their mind about. Now, if they supported Trump, Liz Cheney would have been a warmongering, fathered uh, uh, killer, dog. Uh, I mean, she would have been the worst person ever. As soon as she turned on Trump, she was the best thing since sliced bread. The media welcomed her in with open arms. As a, as a matter of fact, here's how much they did. Cut 40. Roll that, friend. Trump went after Liz Cheney twice in his press releases. At one point, he, he wrote that she is a warmongering fool who has no business in Republican Party leadership. What Liz Cheney laid out there is what Liz Cheney's been her entire political career. Uh, and it's what Donald Trump has not been uh, sure. because he really is valueless. She will be regarded as a true leader because of what she's doing. <laughs> What's it going to take to break this cult? <laughs> if the Republican Party dreams. is, as you say, a cult and has made this decision, oh, which gosh. it seems to have made, they look alike. what breaks the fever? People like Liz Cheney standing up, uh, people like Mitt Romney. Uh, we need the Susan Collinses. We need the Lisa Murkowski. We need those people. I do commend Lynn Cheney for her courage for her patriotism. Lynn, Liz, Liz Cheney is offering a turning point and they're not taking it. The coalition that was behind Mitt Romney, you know, though they didn't win that election, that no longer exists. What animates Republican voters are the red meat, uh, xenophobic, racist in many cases, but also just the culture war debates. They're shiving her for her going on television multiple times and saying that the election wasn't stolen and for refusing to debase herself to Cheeto Jesus. I have spent the past five years of my life trying to accept, understand, and include the MAGA base of this party. Women like me and Liz Cheney who refuse to bend the knee to President Trump but still remain loyal Republicans, <laughs> we don't have a place in this party. We are worthless. We are not worth fighting for to keep. Liz Cheney's not buckling. She's going to continue to fight for the fight for the truth. But if you're looking at House leadership and you do not have someone like Liz Cheney, who is just committed to the truth against the big lie, th that point of view isn't even represented in House leadership. Apparently, most of the GOP conference is willing to go with Donald Trump and uh, and push Liz Cheney out. This is truth over lies yeah it's a purge because she's telling the truth about the election <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that's media sentiment now about liz cheney and of course they tie it always tie it to trump and it's not about trump it's not about trump right but it's he's about overall where the republican party is at right and yeah. and who they're up against in in the democrat see they never make it about the the parties they never talk about because they think the Democratic Party and what they're doing is just all fine and swell. And what's the problem here? There's nothing to it. Why do you object so much? There's nothing wrong here. We got, we got, this is what the American people want. You know, we got that big two seat majority in the House and no seat majority in the Senate. So we're going to ram through all this Marxist socialist uh, nonsense as much as we can. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, it's Liz Cheney versus Trump. No, it's no, it's not.
Yeah, but that's the that that's what's going to attract the eyeballs. Of course. So they got to keep it that that way, as opposed to uh, going back to Elise Stefanik real quick. This is this is from March of this year. She voted against the immigration bill um, that Biden had put up for undocumented immigrants. Um, she says she's quoted here since taking office. I've consistently opposed amnesty. She said in a statement, the three dream and promise act of 2021 undermines these critical goals of providing mass amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants and granting green cards to illegals not currently living or working in the U S she said she also voted against it because it did not provide more funding for the border agents, many of whom are from the North country and are temporarily temporarily reassigned and it's causing the worst border crisis in decades caused by President Biden's disastrous right, but I mean, policies. Not, not supporting something under Biden is no big go. I mean, if she's supporting anything under Biden, then we have real problems. It's the fact that she doesn't she didn't support any of this stuff under Trump that I just read to you. At least that's what, according to I have no reason not to believe the article that it's factually correct on her voting record. No, I'm sure, I'm sure it support, is. I, I'd love to see the dates on those votes, too. You know what I mean? Because I think that will give us some context to be like, all right, well, she used to think you, this way. Because think about it. Think about uh, who do you listen to all the time? Uh, Levine. Levin. He wasn't a Trump supporter at first. And all of a sudden he kind of. whether he, you're a Trump supporter. It's the, do you believe in open borders or not? If you're supporting a bill that's called the dream, whatever I read to you, what's, what's your stance? If you're voting against his ability to use emergency funding to build the wall when he knew the Democratic Congress wasn't going to pass it, so he's going to try to take the money from the, the budget over at the Department of Defense and use whatever he can to get it done, and she's going to oppose that, who cares what the what's – it, what's it matter that Trump's the president? It's either you – what do you believe? What do you st- what's your stance on these issues? And again, I take it back to when was that vote? Because if it was if it was prior twenty, it seems like twenty eighteen was was a was it a pivotal year for her. She kind of she could have stayed you know normal Republican and you know ticked everybody off, or she made the pivot and be like, you know what, I I got to start supporting this this side because this is what's going to get it done. Right, and aren't you just proving my point? That's like either are you conservative or not? Why, why are you flowing with the wind? Why you owe it's if it was if he put this up in his first two years, I would have supported it. But if he puts it up in his last two, I'm not. That's the whole point, isn't it? Like, no. Are you making my point or am I not understanding no, I, you? I don't think you're understanding me because at one point I used to be against, you know, people. You know, a friend of mine had guns. I'm like, why do you need so many guns? Why don't you put them someplace and, you know, only go there when you need them? Didn't understand what, what it was all about. All that- right, we'll continue this when we get back. Thursday night, Real America's Voice. We'll get back to our discussion about weak-kneed Republicans in, in a second. But let's do some sports right now with Rick Emirati at Slick Rick Sports on Twitter. You can find him. Make sure you follow him there. What's going on, pal? 
Big D, all right, let's go right to the PGA Tour, uh, CBS leaderboard, round one, uh, Wells Fargo Championship, Quail Hollow Club, Charlotte, North Carolina, $8.1 million prize package. And Phil Mickelson, our old friend, shot a seven under, 64 today, to lead everyone. So I wish Phil well. Usually our Thursday guy isn't our Sunday guy to win it all, but uh, let's hope that Phil wins. Be nice to see the 50-plus-year-old pull it out, but he won. He had a great game today. Yeah, haven't, haven't talked to Phil in a while. Hope yeah. he plays well this uh, this week. Yeah, it would be nice. And uh, hey, another old friend of yours, Big D, Rory McIlroy. Well, he's tied with 28 others at number 73, hoping to make the cut tomorrow. We shot at one over 72, and his woes continue. Rory, what's the story? Next cut Rory makes will be the one where you hit the ball through the windmill. Are you kidding me? You beat the deli he's working out when it starts slicing exactly. bologna. Unbelievable, boy. Boy, boy, he's going to regret that, that comment he made last year. And let's go to Major League Baseball. These are all finals. Phillies over the Brewers, 2-0 earlier today. Astros over the Yankees, 7-4. Red Sox 12-9 over the Tigers. The Rangers 4-3 over the Twins. Mets 4-1 over the Cardinals. Indians shut out the Royals 4-0. Blue Jays 10-4 over the Athletics. And the Braves 3-2 over the Nationals. In action right now, mid-six, Diamondbacks and Marlins tied at one. And Rays and Angels coming up just underway, 9-40 first pitch. NBA action, Bulls 76, uh, 67 over the Hornets. That's in the third. The Nets trying to get even with the sixes up there in the east, chasing them. Uh, right now, 62-60 over the Mavs in the second. Kyrie Irving with 25 to lead all scorers for the Brooklyn Nets. Pascal Siakam with 13 leads the Raptors 60-51 to over the Wizards. That's at the half. Grizzlies right now over the Pistons, 40 to 39 in the second. Hawks lead the paces, 30, uh, trail the paces, excuse me, uh, 33 to 42. That's in the second. Thunder visits the Warriors and Lakers at the Staples Center to take on their next-door neighbors, the Clippers. That's at 10 p.m. tip. NHL action. All these games right now in action are at the end of the second period in intermission. Devils 2-1 over the struggling Islanders. The Penguins 5-3 over the Sabres. Hurricanes lead the Blackhawks 1-0, Maple Leafs over the Canadians 4-1, and the Bruins taking care of the Rangers 3-0. Canucks take on the Oilers at 9 p.m. puck drop. And speaking of the Rangers, NHL fined the New York Rangers $250,000 today for ripping Tom Wilson. This is from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. The New York Rangers will wallop with a quarter of a million dollar fine by the NFL after the team called for the firing department of player safety head George Paros. Not Soros, Paros. This week, the Rangers were incensed after the NHL opted to fine but not suspend Washington Capitol forward Tom, uh, Tom Wilson for altercations with New York forwards Pavel Buchnetov. Buchnevich and Artemi Panarin on Monday night. He was given a $5,000 fine, the maximum allowable under the collective bargaining agreement for punching Buchnevich in the head when he was flat on the ice. Wilson wasn't further penalized by the league for throwing down Panarin, which led the Rangers uh, the said that he caused an injury that put their star winger out for the remainder of this season. On Tuesday, the Rangers released a statement which sources told ESPN was commissioned by owner James Dolan himself that cited Wilson for a horrifying act of violence and criticized the player safety department for failing to to suspend him indefinitely. The statement went on to say that it was a 
Dereliction of duty. We've heard that one before by Paros, and that he is unfit to continue in his current role as senior VP of player safety. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman announced the quarter of a million dollar fine earlier today. So Rangers got hit with a big fine. You know, they say can't speak out against the establishment. You know, it's just the way it is. But I what, think the Rangers were within their right. What, what, a, what a joke this whole thing is. Well, people are leaving the MLB and NBA and M- NFL. Great opportunity for them to kind of pull in a new audience and they act like a third-rate organization through this whole process. What a what a joke. Real black eye, so to speak, for the, uh, for the NHL, for this, this whole thing. They handle it like goons, just like this guy uh, from the Capitals, Wilson. Terrible. Terrible. And if you saw that, it really was very uncalled for, Paul. We talked about it the other night. Well, And there's no doubt. There's just no doubt. Buchnevich got the stick up. Shit, can't do that. Totally the wrong way to play the game. Got some come up for it, but then what Wilson did after that, and he's a repeat offender, and he's a low life of the league. It's just terrible. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's, you, you saw the Rangers responded the next night, right? Yeah, they fired yeah. Their, their team president and their yeah. John Davidson, manager. right? And yeah. John Davidson is as likable and yeah. as competent a man as there is. He'll be without a job for as many days as he wants to not work because he is loved and revered around the league, and the sure. fact that they – did this to him to me is an ultimate sandbag job, and I and I hate the Rangers. Let me yeah, go no, on. No, I, was, I was talking about the next game they played against the Capitals. It was it was what a hundred hundred plus penalty oh, minutes. It was a bloodbath. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it, lot of fighting. You know, and they were commenting that you know, yeah, the Rangers don't seem to have a goon like this guy Wilson on their team. Is like, but they were all like, hey, they stood up for their teammate. Yeah, they went yeah. at him. They sent this. They made a statement. Yeah. Well, so let's go to the rodeo. Let's switch gears here. The Matagorda County Fair and Livestock Exposition. That's this weekend, May 6th through the 8th. Bay City, Texas at the Matagorda County Fairgrounds. Just a couple of uh, events in action right now. Steer Wrestling. Sterling Walton with a 4.6 second time. Best of the day. So far, Team Roping, Corey Clark and Dustin Searcy. 4.2 seconds. Good score. Tie down. Tanner Green in 7.7 seconds. And Bauer Racing, which is always my favorite. Kylie Shribner in 14.10 seconds. That's a great score. And uh, we'll have a report on the rest of the events tomorrow evening heading into the weekend. Light weekend for the rodeo because, well, we got Mother's Day on Sunday and all those those rodeo fellas, they want to get home with their mom and dad, the rodeo boys and girls. And NASCAR. NASCAR set to reopen infield footprint to small number of guests. This is an MSN Sports staff report, Big D. NASCAR will reopen its infield footprint to a small number of guests beginning May 7th to the 9th at the Darlington Raceway. The, uh, 1.366 miles South Carolina track was also the site of NASCAR's first races back after last year's pause for the COVID-19 pandemic. NASCAR is reduced, reintroducing guests to the restricted areas, garage, and road pit. However, unfortunately, you're going to have to get a vaccine to be allowed inside the uh, the raceway and inside the track there. So that's unfortunate. Um, additionally, NASCAR has outlined the large infield footprint for May 22nd, May 23rd race, uh, the Circuit of the Americas, and uh, there will be plans to grow these numbers. But looks like NASCAR is jumping on the bandwagon of the vaccine. So sorry to see that. Yeah, that's we'll really see how not long fair. Yeah, uh, we'll see. You're right. And last but not least, uh, let's say happy birthday to the great Willie Mays, who turned 90 years old today. The Say Hey Kid, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, baseball players in the history of the game. Uh, never forget his over-the-head basket catch in the 1954 World Series Game 1 against the Cleveland Indians. He batted 302, and as they say, he hit 300. That's a Hall of Fame career. He had 660 homers, 12 gold gloves, 
24 All-Star appearances. And, and, and after all those great years with the Giants, he retired with the 73 Mets. But, uh, hey, Willie Mays, the Say Hey Kid, God bless. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979. And uh, hats off to him. Absolutely one of the all-time greats. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D for my first space segment. All right. Thanks, Rick. Um, you had a sports, another sports story quickly. Yeah. Weightlifter Laurel Hubbard is set to become the first transgender athlete to compete at the Olympics after qualifying for the rescheduled Tokyo Games due to a rule change inside the Games website that was reported on Wednesday. Um, Hubbard was effectively uh, guaranteed a spot in the women's super heavyweight category. Um, it, she is... Uh, She's a uh, New Zealander. She's four, she's 43. She was a man. Uh, she's now a woman at 43 years old, and she's going to compete in powerlifting with the women oh, at the Olympics. If it, Not good. Wait a, wait a sec. Well, she's still, she is a man uh, but, no, biologically, she, right? Biologically, yeah. but she's a woman now. She's telling us she's a woman, right? Right. So I was... Um, That's fair. I I, uh, I can't even I don't even know what to say. This is just insanity. If, if you ask the great the Caitlyn Jenner who was uh, on TV last night, you know what? what? What would he say? What would she say? I mean, he was she, one of the greatest ever. Right. Not not the right thing. Does not support it. Nope. Right. Not at no, all. No. And liberal heads are exploding everywhere. All right. Yes. Hour two coming up. We'll let the audience weigh in on Rick and I's uh, debate over Liz Cheney and Elise Stefanik. I'll give you some emails when we get back. Two live from Studio Six B. Paul Nolan's going to do some news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Amarati will have more sports. Fran holding it down on his own. Geo down for the count. G Money not feeling too good, but the positive news is he's not positive, at least as of this today. Good uh, for COVID. So I guess that. Well, he's not. He's not positive, but he says he feels worse today than he did yesterday. So. Uh, Hopefully by Monday, G will be back in the saddle, but Fran is uh, holding it down, as I knew he could. Uh, so just, we spent a lot of hour one talking about Liz Cheney. So just a couple um, emails from the live from Studio 6B audience. Mark Robinson sends me a link to Heritage Action for America, conservative um well, I guess call them think tank, whatever. Um, and they they rate all of the Republican congresswoman, uh, congressmen and women. Uh, Representative Elise Stefanik comes in with a score of 56%. A lifetime score of 48%. With the average House Republican from Heritage Action coming in at 85%. So she comes in at a whopping 56%. Um, and just to give you a little bit of an idea on her voting record, 
and this has dates, so Rick, pay attention, 1221 of 2020, the $1.4 trillion omnibus and $900 billion COVID package. Uh, Heritage Action's position was a thumbs down. She voted thumbs up. The HEROES Act, $2.2 trillion COVID bill, 10-1, October 1st. Heritage Action was thumbs down. She was thumbs down. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Enhancement Act, uh, she was in agreement with them there, both uh, thumbs down. Impeaching President Donald Trump, thumbs down. Uh, domestic Minibus Spending Package, H.R. 1865, uh, loaded down with liberal poison pills and bad policy riders. Heritage Action was a thumbs down. She voted for it. Uh, amnesty for Millions of Illegal Immigrants, H.R. 5038, December 11th of 2019. H.R. 5038, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, grants amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants without doing anything to reform broken immigration systems. Heritage Action voted no. Congress member uh, voted yes. Reauthorization of the Export-Import Bank, sponsored by Representative Maxine Waters. Oh, she voted for that. Oh, God. The Bipartisan Budget Act of 2019, the two-year agreement would raise the 2011 Budget Control Act cap by $322 billion and suspend the debt ceiling until July of 2021. If enacted into law, this Mnuchin and Nancy Pelosi budget deal would be the most fiscally egregious deal in recent years. Heritage Action voted for a no. She voted for it. H.R. 5, the so-called Equality Act, May 17th of 2019. This legislation would modify the Civil Rights, Act, Civil Rights Act of 1964 to add sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes in federal anti-discrimination law. Heritage Action voted no. She voted yes. So that's just a couple of the last, since 19. That's why she scores a 56%. What did Romney get on that? Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up, but let me, I'll look that up when you do the news. Let me just go back to some of the viewer emails. Cause I think of some of them, um, Nadine Wright says, wanted to add to your conversation regarding Elise versus Liz Cheney. I fired off a not so friendly email to her because she was going to vote yes for giving illegal farm workers a green card and a path to citizenship. I wrote that those who would uh, get the green card would leave the farm for better opportunities as they wouldn't stay uh, a field worker once they had the paperwork. How dumb could she possibly be? It absolutely infuriated me. Uh, so she sent her an email on that. Um, Aaron says, I read comments about Stefanik's voting record. She was described as a Tino, Trump in name only. I'm disturbed when I hear that he is meeting with McCarthy, Graham, Cruz. Is this still the same person who advised him on cabinet and White House staff appointments? And then maybe the one that sums it up the best, Michael Schmidt says, Rick's point, Damon, is that maybe she took the red pill and woke up. Rick, Damon's point is maybe she's another lying charlatan, <laughs> fake poser patriot. Tough call. Well, that's a great point, and and I think that's something to consider. That's why, you know what, if we can get her on the show, I'd love for us to be able to pose some of these questions to her. But I was looking through some of the stuff here, and, you know, you talk about that 2017, um, what was it, the uh, votes no on final tax reform, right? The uh, 
the tax cuts. Okay, Lee, Trump Lee, tax cuts. Yeah, Lee Zeldin voted against that too. And then, then I did a little more digging. It's like, well, why did they? Well, according to this, it's because the way it affected New York taxpayers. So again, you know, you're looking at you're looking at the broad scope, and there are I bet you there are things with it because we all know these bills. It just because it says, oh, it's the Humane Act, doesn't mean there's only humane stuff in there. There's a lot of other stuff that they stuff into these bills it's and make them a the thousand exact pages long. Of what the act says, right? So that's why you got to sit there and pile through and be like, all right, now what it, what is going to affect her constituents? She may she may be like, well, I don't want to vote for this part of it. But I'm getting this part of it, and I'm getting this part. It's, it's like you're making that, hey, I'm getting 7 out of 10. Nothing's going to be perfect, right? Yep. So maybe that's where she stands. Plus, again, she's, she's been a thorn in the side when it comes to this uh, supporting Trump thing, especially when it comes to the election and trying to expose the coup. So you know what? Until she, uh, if all of a sudden, you know, in a couple months she starts flipping the other way, then you know, you know where she blows. You don't have a... Um family barbecue coming up with her do you at all because <laughs> you're quick to defend her i'm not quick to She's... defend i'm just trying to to put things into context okay. like lee zeldin okay he voted against the tax the tax cuts okay. why well, rick he's, he's running for governor hot. he's the governor so yeah rick has a crush Catherine <laughs> branch says damon i think you're pointing out values whereas rick seems to think she has changed her mind on some point regarding certain issues i agree with you that your values don't seem to tend or shouldn't tend to change easily. Cheney versus Stefanik. So, all right, very good, good conversation. We can, uh, we don't have, we can agree to disagree yeah. on her, or we can maybe try to get her on the show, like you said. So, yeah. and I made the quick point. I used to have certain views of gun ownership, and and that has changed drastically. So, you know, it it could happen. Okay. All right, uh, Paul, do you want to do some news here, other news? And I have this, before I get to this great story written by John, speaking of John Solomon, about what's going on in this, uh, in St. Louis with this Kim Gardner. Well, I, uh, I'd like to get to this story. I saw it in uh, Zero Hedge, Tyler Durden's piece, and he referenced Daniel Payne's work over at Just the News, so I figured I'd come over to Just the News and, and give props. Um, the uh, officials in the Arizona Maricopa County are withholding materials subpoenaed by the state legislature as part of its audit of the county's 2020 election, claiming that surrendering them would con- constitute a security risk for both law enforcement and federal agencies. A Monday letter sent from Maricopa County's attorney's office to Ken Bennett, the former Arizona Secretary of State, and the liaison between the state Senate and the auditors said the county had elected not to overturn several routers requested by the legislature due to an alleged significant security risk to law enforcement data utilized by the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, as well as numerous federal agencies. Um, it continued, the letter continues, we had previously believed the risk would be eliminated by redacting the law enforcement data on the route, routers but and not producing it, but we were informed the redaction did not eliminate the risk. This is awfully shady. Uh, Bennett uh, told Just the News that the state subpoena had requested access or control of all routers and tabulators used in connection with the administration of the 2020 elections, as well as the public IP of the routers. I don't know why the routers and tabulation and election center have anything to do with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office and numerous federal agencies, Bennett said, noting that the Sheriff's Department and Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center aren't even in the same building. 
Maricopa County spokesman Fields Mosley on Thursday afternoon said county had determined the information contained in Maricopa County's routers can be used as blueprints to intercept sensitive county data. Um, this is awfully shady. So if I, I don't know what to say, but I mean, if there was nothing to hide, could you, could, was it make any sense that any of this, they would go at such lengths to protect this data? This is incredible to me. I mean, at this point right now, I mean, if, if this doesn't tell you that Maricopa County is just one of many places where the shenanigans, because I don't want to say anything because I don't want to <laughs> do anything to hurt the show and social media and whatnot, but um, this is just crazy to me. I mean, this is simply crazy to me. Now, the Secretary of State there is Katie Hobbs. She seems to be... Um... She seems to be a big cog in the wheel here in in trying to uh, interfere with what's going on here. I don't know if the, her name comes up in any of that reporting, but um, I don't know. I saw someone tweet something like they seem the Biden administration seems very concerned about um, what they might find out in this audit in Arizona. I mean, I don't, I don't know much more about it than that, but there's, it does seem that, um, did the president, Fran, did one of those things I give you, the, um, oh, that was on new, put up, well, let's put up both of them. Let's do 41 first, if you have that, put that full screen. A couple things from former President Trump today that he put up, uh, he put out, this is the first one about, the, I don't know if this is in Arizona. Do you have the 41 there? Yeah, so he said the fake news media working in close conjunction with big tech and the radical left Democrats is doing everything they can to perpetuate the term the big lie when speaking of the 2020 presidential election fraud. They are right in that the 2020 presidential election uh, was a big lie, but not in the way they mean the 2020 election, which didn't even have legislative approvals from so many states, which is required under the U.S. Constitution and was also otherwise corrupt was indeed the big lie so when they try to sell the american people the term the big lie which they do in unison and coordination think of it instead as the greatest fraud in the history of our country and even greater hoax than russia russia rather mother 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 impeachment hoax one two and any other many scams the democrats pulled yeah um and then he put this one out number two on um new hampshire congratulations to the great patriots of Wyndham, new hampshire for their incredible fight to seek out the truth on the massive election fraud which took place in New Hampshire in the 2020 presidential election. The spirit for transparency and justice is being displayed all over the country by media outlets which do not represent fake news. People are watching in droves as these patriots work tirelessly to reveal the real facts of the most tainted and corrupt election in American history. Congratulations, Wyndham. Looking forward to seeing the results. And well, I would well, say Real well. America's Voice would certainly fall under one of those networks trying to do that. Jenna Ellis in her new election integrity committee that she's put together with Ken Paxton and Bernie Carrick. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mentioned this the other night that, that, you know, as small as it is up there in New Hampshire, this could be the thread that kind of unravels everything. And it seems to be gaining a lot more, uh, a lot more eyeballs. All right, more of Hour 2 coming up. Lots to do, some more news, more sports. Do when we get back. Glad you're in on a Thursday and Real America's Voice.
from Studio 6B on a Thursday, 17 past the hour. Glad you're in. Paul's going to do some news. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Emirati's going to do some more sports. Friend holding it down. Gio's uh, not feeling good. He'll be hopefully back Monday if he's feeling better. Does not have COVID-19, which is a good thing. Um, so there's a lot to there's a lot to get to. Um, but I, I did want to get to this because just the rules for me and not for the you know rules for thee and not for me. Um, just keeps. Just when you think you can't get any more surprised at the arrogance of some of these people, I see this today in The Federalist. Governor Gretchen Whitmer reportedly <laughs> borrowed a private jet oh, come on. for a secret Florida trip during lockdown. Now, Ava Perone has found every single reason under the sun to extend her emergency powers and extend locking down businesses in Michigan and ruining and closing businesses for good. Every single time it got to the, oh, there was some reason to extend, 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 extend. Of course, our own Tudor Dixon and Steve Gruber could tell you way better than I could tell you because they live there uh, under the rule of Ava Perone there. So this comes, this comes out today. A spokesman for Democratic Mission Governor Gretchen Whitmer confirmed in April that Whitmer flew to Florida while instructing Michiganders to stay home while under COVID-19 lockdown orders. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, of course, in Pennsylvania, you have the now health uh, HHS undersecretary or whatever she is, second in charge, who um, was moving her mother out of nursing, nursing homes. homes while others were going in and, and dying because of the, the, we'll call it the Cuomo rule that they were doing in Pennsylvania as well. So you have that, and now you have this. So now a new report indicates that Whitmer contacted wealthy Detroit businessman to lend her a private plane. Spokesman Bobby Letty said the governor traveled on three, occasion, three occasions <laughs> to Florida to visit her elderly father. The governor's office claimed taxpayer money was not used for travel. Deadline Detroit reports Whitmer avoided a private plane fee in the range of $10,000 to $20,000 by asking billionaires to provide a charter. The jet she took would have allegedly ran her a fee of forty grand, an estimated 25% of Whitmer's salary before taxes. Quote, we wondered why she reached out to us instead of booking a private charter, one of the owners of the plane said. You can't tell a governor no who needs that kind of trouble. The governor was asked about the report Thursday, and she declined to provide information as to whether she reimbursed the Detroit businessman. Quote, I've said everything I'm going to say about my trip to check on my father, she told a reporter from WWTV. I've got nothing to add. We don't discuss my travel. I have received an incredible number of death threats over the last year and a half, there are a lot of reasons we don't discuss how I travel and when I travel. While Whitmer released vaccine benchmarks and encouraged residents to get shots, she was not vaccinated upon traveling to Florida for four days. The jet she flew on, a Gulfstream G280 twin, took her from Lansing, Michigan to West Palm Beach, Florida. Two weeks after getting back from her trip, Whitmer made a point to tell Michiganders to make sure they stay home. 
Governor Whitmer says a factor in Michigan's surging COVID-19 cases is that fewer people were infected earlier in the pandemic than in other states. She also is concerned about spring break travel, particularly to Florida. The AP reported on April 3rd. (laughs) She's a clown. Then appearing on Meet the Press on April 19th, Whitmer said people should, this is of course with her little Fauci pillow behind her, Uh, Whitmer said people should avoid travel. Quote, Michigan and Florida are not next to each other, she said. (laughs) But this is the time of year that snowbirds come home from Florida where people are going on spring break and all of these things can contribute to the spread, she said. We're imploring people to take this seriously. Mask up. Get tested. If you've been around someone who's positive, stay home. Whitmer's administration refuses to now provide details of her Florida trip due to "quote unquote" ongoing security concerns. Of course, we'll stop being a traitor to the country. Jason Rowe, executive director of the Michigan GOP, said in a statement that Whitmer "quote has been the most <laughs> has been the most opaque governor in Michigan history." Governor Whitmer lied about her trip to Florida and is compounding her lies by refusing to disclose the cost of the private plane she used. If she paid for her personal trip and what the fair market value of that payment was, Whitmer's office did not respond to a request for comment. And why would she? She doesn't have to tell us what's going on. (laughs) And as much as I can... um, feel for her wanting to have an elderly parent that far away and check on them. Well, I mean, I'll bet there's other people who live in Michigan who have that same exact scenario. Yeah. Exact same scenario. I'll bet I can go out on a limb here and say that you're probably not the only Michigander who has an elderly parent living out out of state, Florida or any place else. And I'll bet there's a lot of them who would have liked to jumped on a plane, private or not. Save the planet, Gov. Save the planet. Um, and uh, gone to see their elderly parents. But yeah. as your role as the executive of the state, you were telling them, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Yeah, she's, she's like uh, Caesar from Planet of the Apes. Saying, uh, you know what? You can't go into the forbidden zone. It's off limits. She's been there. She knows how bad it is and doesn't want you to, you know, go there and, and, and possibly catch what, what could be caught there. It's a forbidden zone. She saw Florida. Oh, scary. I don't, um, I don't like the fact that she says when she talks to the reporters, I'm not going to say anything more about me going to see my elderly <laughs> father. As if, like, that's like, how dare you ask me? Uh, my father is, uh, okay, fine. Yes, we all, we all can feel for that. And, but like I said, you're not probably the only person who lives in Michigan, I'd bet. And I pay you salary. You work for me. Yeah. Fess up. Yeah, the people of Michigan can demand that. She's an employee on their dime it it is and yet i mean you hear me i'll i'll report it to you i don't maybe there's others who have reported it obviously the federalist wrote about it and plus you have a crush on her so but where else um (laughs) 
Yes, I'd like to star in um, Evita one day. But wh- where, where else can you? Um, where else are you going to hear this story? This is not the lead on MSNBC. Now, if this was, if this was Ron DeSantis, we found out had left Florida when they were in total lockdown, which was about for five minutes, uh, because he actually believes in people like living their life. But if he had left Florida during lockdown and, and hired some. You know, taking one of Trump's uh, G5s over there from Mar-a-Lago or wherever and flown to see his parents. Do you think uh, we would have known about it? You think the media would have reported on it? Nope. Oh, you knew the answer to that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's just the arrogance is just unbelievable because they know they won't get questioned. Yeah. And when they do get questioned, they'll just lie about it. So, yeah, social media, John uh, Beatty, one of our good followers, he just wrote, City Cop gets a free cup of coffee and gets fired. What? You know, you think about it. Like, or the one cop was getting fired for hitting the like button, talking about how under attack, the one girl was writing how under attack she was by BLM and how this organization, they want, they want me dead. They are after me. They hate my uniform. They hate me. Another, she's getting fired, and the person who hit, cop who hit like is getting fired. Did you guys see that story? No. no. I'll find it, and I'll do it tonight. All right. We'll do some news when we get back. Thirty minutes past the hour. Real America's Voice on a Thursday night. Glad you're in. It's time to do some news, and we'll do that with Mr. Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, once again, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Thursday. He just keeps on. He keeps on taking that federalist uh, view. So on Thursday, he signed into law a measure to further secure the state's voting systems that include new requirements on mail-in, drop box, and absentee balloting. Uh, Florida voters, um, well, sorry, Florida follows other GOP-led states in reforming voter laws, with Georgia last month enacting the most comprehensive changes. DeSantis said the bill prohibits the mass mailing of ballots and restricts the use of drop boxes, according to Fox News. The bill also aims to enforce voter ID and ballot harvesting by ensuring drop boxes are geographically located throughout the state. So uh, I know we have a clip of him yeah, talking he was, about elections. Yeah, bef- so before we get to that, I, I, I referenced this article the other day, but I never really got to it, how uh, Governor DeSantis, he says, this article says, why do we only have one governor who's consistently fighting for individual liberty on issues of our time? Given that the 100 days of mask wearing Biden prescribed turned into a joke with cases rising in states with mandates and, f- and falling in those without them, one would think every red state governor would commit to permanently blocking COVID fascism. While many Republican governors have loosened restrictions, most have not committed to ending them permanently and ensuring that nothing like this can happen again. Moreover, few of them are truly fighting the growing trend of colleges and businesses illegally requiring vaccines. Governor DeSantis is not one of them. 
He signed a bill, SB 2006, that will dramatically alter how pandemic orders are promulgated in the state going forward. Unlike other governors who fought the legislatures on limiting executive authority, DeSantis embraced the opportunity to promote liberty at the expense of his own power. He also went a step further to bridge the gap between now and when the bill takes effect on July 1st. He signed a companion executive order that will suspend all remaining COVID-19 orders from local jurisdictions throughout the state. This includes all remaining mask mandates. The governor also announced there'll be a complete clemency for any individual or business cited by a locality for violating COVID restrictions last year. Republicans control 23 state governments the way they control Florida. Why the hell are these victories so few and far between? And the clip that Paul's referencing, uh, this is the other day, cut five. Here he is talking about elections and what some of the stuff they're doing in the states after this past November election. Roll that, friend. You know, when we took action in Palm Beach and Broward, there were people saying that wasn't necessary. That turned out to be the right decision. They ran very good elections, much better than they had the two years previously. Um, If you look at what they did, having these private groups, these Zuckerbucks, come in and spend millions of dollars to administer elections like they did in Pennsylvania, that is totally unacceptable. And so, yes, that didn't happen at the, at the same level in Florida as it did in some of these other states. But that's a reason to take action before it happens. I think if you look at these mass mail balloting, we have absentee. It's something that Florida has done a long time. It's, it's popular, it, although, you know, it, it's fell out of favor a little bit with Republicans because of uh, their concerns about the mail. But nevertheless, that's a part. But what you don't want is mass mail balloting. And so I think they put adequate protections in that. You request, you get. Uh, And I think that that was the appropriate thing. And then ballot harvesting. Look, if you want to bring your wife or your kid's ballot, that's fine. But to have political operatives bringing all these ballots like they do in California, uh, that is a farce. Uh, And we're not going to let that happen in the state of Florida. One person, one vote, not satchels of votes uh, based on whether you're a political operative. So I think we did it right in 2020. We put a lot of effort into that because we knew, and, and if you think about it, 2020, we did 11 million votes by midnight, uh, very uh, transparent, everyone saw, everyone was happy. Um, but we also did the March Democrat presidential primary. Remember, there were people saying we should have canceled the election and panicked and let hysteria overtake us. And I said, no, we're gonna do it. Uh, we trust folks to do it safely. They did it safely. Then we had the August primary, same thing. Folks were saying, well, maybe we should. No, we're gonna do it. We have our system, we did it. And so I think we conducted three elections uh, under COVID, did it well. I think these reforms make sure that we're ahead of the curve, but we would not have done the job we did in 2020 if we hadn't taken action early when I became governor. And if I, working with Laurel Lee, as well as the legislature giving us funding, did not um, really lean into this because there was a lot of things that could have gone wrong. And I think we did it right. So we're going to be signing that bill uh, hopefully very soon. And, uh, and I think the state will be better for it. It's amazing that that is like the that we um, need that like how that's not just common the sense. minority view right it's amazing that people oh this guy is he's just he's really out there like that's not how is that not the common view of all red states to be trying to pass this kind of legislation although I will say it does seem like there's more and more things that are cropping up around the country 
And I don't know, maybe I'm too positive about it, but I, I honestly, uh, part of me thinks the more we get down the road in this first two years, the more this disaster of Biden-Harris is maybe, possibly going to end up backfiring on the Democratic Party. And, and, it's, and, and, the, and, and the majority of America is going to say, this is, this is so out of control. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the path that he's charting there with, with all this election stuff, I think that is the majority view. It's just it doesn't get any play. I agree. The, the media won't talk about it. They'll call you a lunatic. If you, they'll call you xenophobic. Oh, it's Jim Crow. Oh, you, you hate minorities. It, that's all you get just because you, you might want to stand up and say, hey, one person, one vote. Let's make sure it's correct. Make sure that, you know, if this person comes in or that person comes in, that they are that person, you know? But, but as soon as you try and do that, oh, my goodness, you're a xenophobe, you're a racist, you're, 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 that's all it is. But that's the minority view. And I think that's what we got to get past. Stop believing what you're seeing on the mainstream media because they're not telling you the truth. That's a small segment of society. You walk down any street and have conversations with people, I don't think there's a racist problem. I don't think there's a vo- – I think everybody's like, yeah, this – you present them with it because you've, we've, we've played those things where they go around the college campuses. Oh, does this make sense? Does that make sense? They go, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, oh, by the way, that's actually a Trump view or this this – and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I just think we're being snowed. It's a snow job. Okay. Uh, what else is going on, Paul? Well, this story I wanted to do yesterday. Obviously, we had our issues here. But a New Jersey police officer says she was fired over a Facebook post calling Black Lives Matter protesters terrorists. Uh, a New Jersey police officer told Fox and Friends on Wednesday that she was devastated after she was fired over a Facebook post where she called Black Lives Matter terrorist. The former Hopewell Township police officer, Sarah Irwin, explained what prompted her to write that post and that she said to her losing her job. Also on the show appeared Sergeant Mandy Gray, um, who was suspended and demoted for liking the June 2020 post. Uh, both Irwin and Gray have each served 20 years of... And, um, argued that their treatment was unjust and excessively harsh. Um, Erwin wrote in the post, Last night, as I left work for my two kids, um, crying for me not to go to work, I don't think I've ever felt the way I did last night. And then I watched people I know and others I care about going into harm's way. I love my police family like my own. So when you share posts and things on Facebook, I'd really appreciate if you'd think before doing so. I've seen so many Black Lives Matter hashtags in these posts. Just to let you know, they are terrorists. They hate me. They hate my uniform, and they, they don't care if I die. Um, on Wednesday, she explained, I had friends, family, and tons of people reaching out, text messages, phone calls, reaching out through Messenger, checking on me, making sure everything was okay because they, they saw so many things in the news. I felt the easiest... Uh, to put uh, the feeling in a message, get it out there that I was home and I was safe. And uh, the other woman said she had just liked it because she's their friends and she liked her messages and she thinks it's absolutely ridiculous that she's being fired as well. So the... um, Where is she a police officer? uh, Jersey, um, Hopewell Township. You know, this is, uh, to me, this is as crazy as it gets. Just the, you can't do this to our patriots. You just can't. The uh, police in uh, p- 
ask, someone needs to ask Portland, Ted, Ted Wheeler, how it's working out there in Portland. I saw that Portland has responded to more shootings this year. I believe 355 so far. Uh, that's more than double the number of the same time last year. And, um, yeah, like Paul says, I mean, this whole defund the police and the police being attacked and, and, and social media being scanned and fired and suspended for anything they do is just, it's It's crazy. It's crazy. The good guys have become the bad guys, and the bad guys have become the good guys. Um, anything else, Paul? I got. I have a feel-good story here. Maybe to change it up a little bit here, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> CNN, the biggest loser in post-Trump era. I feel better already. Keep view, going. Viewership <laughs> halved by Paul Bedard, who's fantastic at the Washington Examiner. He says the boring Biden era has hit liberal cable TV networks extremely hard. According to the latest Rasmussen report survey, Fox News leads the way with 41% of likely voters saying that they tune in. But liberal-leaning CNN and MSNBC are far behind. For CNN, 25% of likely voters said that they generally watch the cable channel. For MSNBC... It's down to 21%. Quote, it may, be, it may be that the biggest loser in last year's election wasn't a political candidate, but CNN, which has seen its ratings drop precipitously since former President Donald Trump left office, the survey said in its final analysis. Those numbers are a sharp reversal from four years ago when Trump's presidency proved to be a ratings goldmine for CNN. In a, June, in a June 2017 survey, 47% of regular cable news viewers said they generally watch CNN compared to 33 for Fox News and 16 for MSNBC, added Rasmussen. Now it's 25% say they generally watch. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's that good is, to know. That's, that's, that's a good story I like if you it. want a quickie. Tennessee state legislature moves to ban teaching critical race theory in the public schools. Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. You're seeing more and more things start mm-hmm. to, start to pop up. All it up. takes is a little bit of courage to stand up, right? And yeah. then you see more people follow. It's good stuff here. Legislation uh, bars the educational institutions from teaching critical race theory and... Uh, like the notion that any race or sex is superior to another or that anyone is inherently privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive due to their own race. Good stuff. Good to see them uh, standing up. Keep fighting, guys. Local well, level. Yeah. I mean, again, I go back to the, uh, to the article. I mean, if we can't get these kind of red state sanctuaries, you know, where are we, where are we going to get them as we head through these four years? So. All right, live from Studio 6B, we've got more to do. Talk a little bit about the border, and we'll talk about what's going on in St. Louis with this uh, prosecutor. We come back.
Radio 6P, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240, 13 till the hour. Glad you're in. If you're like, uh, if you're a following us on social media, well, if you're following us on social media, you saw my post today about YouTube and their decision to be the arbiters of um, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. By the way, news reading accusing us of a medical misinformation when all I did was read <laughs> articles from the actual mainstream media. So uh, in their view, that was um, that's deceptive, spreading deceptive medical <laughs> misinformation. So yeah. uh, I'm just, you know, I, I, you know, people are going to be upset and say, oh, you got to fight. Well, it's just, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it. So uh, we're going to figure out a way to stream the show. We're building a live from studio6speed.com right now, a new site. And once it goes live, that'll be our home for streaming and chatting and everything else. So uh, until then, we'll, we'll figure it out. But follow us on social media because we still post good stuff from the shows. Facebook, Twitter, at LFS6P, Parlor, uh, Rumble, YouTube, and um, Instagram. So, all right, let's do some sports with at Slick Rick Sports. Speaking of Twitter, find them there. Rick Amorati, what's going on, pal? All right, Big D, the only misinformation I want to give out in sports is when I read the Islanders' scores lately. But uh, other than that, we have uh, eight games in the books and now in ninth in Major League Baseball. The Diamondbacks, 3-1 to one over the Marlins. That's a final. And the Rays and Angels just underway, nothing-nothing, top of the first. And speaking of the Angels, they released future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols earlier today. This is from Zach Wasink of Yard Barker. The Los Angeles Angels have lost four straight games uh, to fall 13-16 to 16 on the season, and future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols is slashing only a 198 batting average with five home runs and 12 ribbies. Somewhat surprisingly, the Angels confirmed ahead of today's game versus the Tampa Bay Rays that they parted ways with Pujols. You know, Pujols is definitely a future Hall of Famer. He's in the final year of a uh, 10-year, $253 million contract. He's going to make about $30 million this year. Uh, however, rumors have it the Chicago White Sox are very interested in hiring him, so we'll see. Signing him, I should say. Uh, you realize he was the league's most valuable player as well as uh, 11, 11 seasons with the Cardinals, and uh, he was in eight All-Star games, so definitely a legendary player, and uh, well, he's cut. I guess his time was up at 41 years old with that team. We'll see how that goes. NHL action finals. Um, we have the uh, Devils over the Islanders, 2-1. to one. The Penguins 8-4 over the Sabres. Jeff Carter with four goals for the Penguins. Good game. Uh, Blackhawks 2-1 over the Hurricanes. That just went final in OT. Maple Leafs 5-2 over the Canadians, and Bruins shut out the Rangers for nothing. Jeremy Swayman with the shutout for the Boston Bruins. And the Hawks, uh, the Canucks, and the Oilers, it's 4-1 to one right now, and that's in the first period, early first period, actually. NBA action. Uh, and Nikolai Vukovic is leading the Bulls right now to a 120 to 99 victory that just went final actually uh, over the Hornets. The Nets and Mavericks in a good game, 94 92. Mavericks lead. Kyrie Irving with 30 points to lead all scorers for the Nets. Uh, Pascal Siakam has 30 points to lead the Raptors right now, who are up 98 97 against the Wizards, and that's in the fourth quarter as well. The Grizzlies over the uh, Trailer Pistons, Pistons 73 66. That's in the third. Paces over the Hawks, 91-85. Two games later, the Thunders visit the Warriors and the Lakers and Clippers, both cohabitants of the Staples Center, also tip off at 10. And Green Bay Restaurant offers Aaron Rodgers free burgers and beer for life if he stays. This is from Dom Calicho of Fox News. How popular is Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? <laughs> Amid recent talk that Rodgers may soon be leaving town or even retiring from the NFL, one local restaurant is making its pitch to keep Rodgers right where he is. Mr. Bruce 
Brews Tap House says it will provide Rogers and fiance Shailene Woodley with free food and beer for life if Rogers finishes career as a Packer. Seriously, we can't let Aaron go, Mr. Brews founder and CEO Steve Day said in a news release, according to the Green Bay Press Gazette. No way, no how. Not only is he coming off yet another MVP season, but he is the face of our beloved franchise. Uh, obviously, we know we've been talking about Rogers, and obviously Brett Favre now has chimed in where he's not too optimistic as well that Rogers will be back this year, and he's having quite a to do with the GM, even even referring to the GM in a text earlier today as the Jerry Stackhouse of Green Bay, and we know Jerry Stackhouse, former Chicago Bulls GM, was responsible for the uh, more or less dismantling of the Michael Jordan Bulls, uh, you know, dynasty. You mean Jerry Krause? Did I say Jerry Krause? What did I say? Stackhouse? Yeah. I'm thinking sixes. Basketball. Jerry Stackhouse. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Glad you caught that. Uh, Mayor of City of Illinois says Bears are seriously considering a move out of Soldier Field uh, and to his town. The Bears might be leaving downtown Chicago. This is John Breach of CBS Sports. The Chicago Bears have been playing at Soldier Field since 1971, but that's something that could be changing in the near future. The Bears are apparently thinking about relocating to Arlington Heights, which is a suburb that sits roughly 30 miles outside of downtown Chicago. For the Bears, the allure of Arlington Heights comes from the fact that the city is about to have 326 acres available where a new stadium could be built. The land is currently occupied by the Arlington Park racetrack, but that building is likely to be sold in the coming months with the expectation that the new buyer is going to tear it down and redevelop the site. During an interview last week, Arlington Heights Mayor Tom Hayes revealed the Bears were seriously considering a move to the site. Certainly the Arlington Park site is available and we would consider the Chicago Bears a great fit for the popular site and the Chicago Bears are not the Denying the fact that they are looking into other options, including the site in Arlington Heights. So, hey, Bears may be moving from Arlington. I guess, you know, with 61,000 fans, when they have the opportunity to have 80, 90, 100,000 fans, like some of these new super stadiums, SoFi, uh, Cowboys, uh, um, AT&T Stadium, they're looking to increase revenue. Can't blame them. So that's that. And last but not least, Pro Football Hall of Fame creates behavioral health program for players. This is an AP report earlier today. Pro Football Hall of Fame is forming a behavioral health program seeking to address the mental and behavioral health of current and former athletes and their families. The program announced today in Canton, Ohio, is supported by such hall members as the great Ronnie Lott, Brian Dawkins, Steve Atwater, Andre Reed, and Tim Brown. Current players Adrian Peterson and Calais Campbell and David Baker, president of the Hall of Fame. We have to end the stigma surrounding mental health that includes athletes, Dawkins said. It's okay to ask for help and to reach out if you're having issues. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way because our silence is killing us and damaging our families. You know, there's been a lot of issues with players and suicide and, and mental issues that we've actually reported on this, this report for NFL players. A lot of them suffer from that post-traumatic, you know, the concussions. So uh, they're looking to do something about that. The NFL, they're going to be aligning with other uh, licensed professionals and providers to offer these services to their players. So good to see they're trying to do something with the NFL. And that's a wrap in sports for tonight, Dig. All right, Slick Rick, thanks. Um, anything else in news, Paul, you want to get to? i got a couple quick things here. Uh, just I'll give you the headline here. Fauci's agency spent over 400000 on experiments crafting aborted fetal scalps onto mice and rats. Oh, what do you need to – what are we doing this for? That sounds like um, – It's more not- Dr. Frankenstein than Dr. Uh- – Yeah. Uh, a couple things here. I just want to end where we began. Ryan James Gurdusky on Twitter says, if, if, if Elise Stefanik goes into leadership, she's staying there, which means the GOP will have had one of their most liberal congresswomen now in charge of messaging for the party. Please tell me there's more strategy going on than this. 
And then the other only thing here I want to comment on, we'll get into more of this. I, I mentioned it was this Facebook oversight committee. And there's a video of their board of directors, one of them, Thomas Hughes, on this decision to uphold Trump's ban from Facebook. He says, quote, the suspension of former President Trump was necessary to keep people safe. (laughs) And Ryan Chittam on Twitter points out, does anyone want to mention that this Facebook oversight board is made up of 75% non-Americans who are making critical decisions that affect our political system? So just, I mean, I don't know. It's just crazy. I I still haven't gotten to the New York Times article about the uh, Swiss um, billionaire speaking of outsiders and how they're affecting our political system written by in the New York Times, by the way, this article. I'll get to that tomorrow. By the way, we our show may be delayed tomorrow because of the special that we're uh, Real America's Voice is doing with uh, Majorie Taylor Greene and um, Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida tomorrow. Live coverage of that. I believe starts at seven. They're both going to speak, so it might go longer than our um, our normal time. So, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, Fran. Great job. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the live from Studio Six B audience. We will see you at some point tomorrow night to wrap up the week. Back with you in twenty two. We'll see you then. So uh, tomorrow night, you'll be.